This is an ABC podcast. wait for the end bit there. Six past twelve. Hello, Belinda Varischetti here. Great to have you along for today's Country Hour. And the Country Hour is celebrating its 75th birthday a little bit later this year and as part of the celebrations, asking you to put your spin on the Country Hour theme. You heard one yesterday. Uh, Today's a little more classy, I think, on the piano there. That was Scott Ruffley who sent through that cover of the theme that he worked up on the piano. If you've got one, just record it on your voice memo and send it through as a text, 0448-922-604, and you'll hear it tomorrow here on The Country Hour. Great to have you along, and don't go anywhere because you could be able to get your hands on some money, and this is through the federal government's Job Keeper program, and it's open to farmers. You might not have known this, but you do need to listen because you might be able to put up your hand for $1,500 a fortnight for each employee that you have at your place. It's also open to you if you're a partner in a farm, you're self-employed. Basically, if you've had a downturn in turnover between March 2018 and March this year, you could qualify for this cash. It doesn't have to be related to the COVID-19 situation at all. If you've had a downturn due to dry conditions, drought conditions, then you might be able to put your hand up. So not just for those, um, the obvious sort of industries like retail or cafes, etc., but it is open to farmers, so it's worth a look and you'll find out more about it before news headlines today at half past 12. Eight past 12 here on the Country Hour. Also talking about the rain after half past 12 today. Have you had any at your place? Be part of the conversation today. 0448 922 604. How much rain did you get? Did you get any? Maybe you missed out. Let me know the situation at your place. It would be great to hear from you this afternoon. Catching up with Travis uh, Giblet now. He farms, uh, manages a farm at Hyden, which is 300 kilometres southeast of Perth. Travis, what's the story at your place? How much rain did you get? Uh, we got 32 at home, 32 mil, and uh, we got another property down the road about 10 k's. We got 16 there, and we've got 18 out the back. 
So what does this mean to your operation, your seeding program this season? Oh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, yeah, we were actually needing the rain. The subsoil moisture was starting to go away a bit, so very dusty, and, and uh, yeah, now that it'll get through our cropping program, no worries at all. Was it a surprise to you, Travis, or did you look at the forecast and were you expecting those sort of rainfall measurements in the gauge? It was actually a bit of a surprise, yeah. We uh, were sort of looking at the weather and we were told we were only going to get a few little showers, so I thought about probably three to five mil, but yeah, when uh, when the big one came, I thought, oh, well, this is, this is what we want, this is... Yeah, I've got a couple of lakes out in, in my oats paddock now, which um, can't do much about, but, yeah, hopefully it'll dry up and the oats will grow nicely. And what about the dams at your place? Is it going to make much difference to those? Yeah, well, we don't run any sheep, but, yeah, I've got a lot of water on, on uh, quite a few dams now, which uh, had some good runoff, yeah. And what about the program at your place, the seeding program? What have you got in mind this season? Yeah, no, we're, we've done all our oats and the barley and we're into the wheat now, so we've probably got about two and a half weeks of wheat to go and this rain will see us through, no worries. And around the neighbourhood, in the community, is this sort of typical of the falls that they got, the sort of 30-ish mil mark? No, a lot of people I'm talking to have sort of got around the 16, 18 mil, but yeah, well, it must have been a little strip that comes through and, and we've copped it. I'm not, not whinging about it, not at all. <laughs> and how long does this hold you over for? Um, look, we'll be going. As soon as this wind drops, hopefully we'll be going tomorrow. Back out at it? Yeah, we'll be back seeding tomorrow, yeah. We just, uh, it's pretty windy here. We can't get any trefflin' on the ground at the minute. So once the, once the wind's gone, um, yeah, we'll be back into it t- probably tomorrow, I'd say we'll give it a go. Travis, good to talk to you. Thank you for that. Travis uh, Giblet, who is at Hyden, 300 kilometres southeast of Perth, 32 mils at one farm and 13 mils at another, not too far away, about 10 kilometres or so away. 11 past 12, let me know what happened at your place, 0448-922-604 to be part of the conversation this afternoon. Uh, Meriden, that's where you're off to now. It's about 260 kilometres east of Perth. This is in the state's eastern wheat belt. It was in the centre of a storm cell that blew through yesterday, causing flooding and damage. Mark Dakem is the temporary chief executive of the Meriden Shire, and he says the centre of town copped the worst of the storm, which dumped between 25 to 38 millimetres. Several shops in Barrack Street and Bates Street, which is the centre of town, they received some water um, into their premises that came in through their ceiling, so the heavy downpour, um, their, their drainage um, couldn't handle that. And there was uh, flooding in the eastern end of the car park in the main, um, main part of town, and also our recreation centre. Um, also, there was some damage there caused by the gutterings in the roof um, overflowing and collapsing a small part of the ceiling. That's no good? Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's not good at all, but um, that's been cleaned up and was actually caused by a footy ball stuck in the, um, in the guttering. This is what happens when you kick footies onto the roof, I suppose. That's what can happen. Yeah. And besides the fact that you've had a bit of uh, localised flooding there, are farmers in the area pleased that they've had a bit of rain for the start of their season? All of the feedback I've had from the farming community has been um, they're very happy. 
Mark Dacom from the Meriden Shire talking about a storm that caused flooding in Meriden's main street and damage to the roof of the recreation centre, which is home of the local football and netball clubs. Some of the roads in the Shire of Meriden are now closed uh, due to that flooding. Tom Powell in Banu says he's had eight and a half mils at Banu, which is enough to be a nuisance. And this text through from Meriden, 27 millimetres of rain, 14 kilometres east of Meriden. Now to northwest of Meriden at Nungarran, farmer Pippa DeLacy says the rain started coming in sideways when the storm hit, but didn't cause too much damage. Town only had 10 mil, um, no damage in the town site. Uh, north got a bit more. Um, Someone recorded 54 mil. Um, they've actually had to reseed. Um, well, we'll be looking at reseeding, so a bit of water damage in the paddock. Uh, no trees down, um, bit of water damage on the roads, and, yeah, pretty minimal, actually. So, And we received about 37 millimetres. That must be pretty pleasing for this time of year to get that, that amount of rain. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. It seems everyone got a little bit, um, yet ranging from 6 mil to, yeah, the 54, so that's great. Um, and, yeah, it was really dry. A lot of people, there been a lot of dry seeding already, so it was great to wash it all in, and now everyone's got a really good start too. Obviously, it has been a bit hit and miss, but tell us about your summer. Have you had any summer rain? And I know last year was quite, quite um, dry as well, so what does it mean in terms of this year's cropping program? Um, yeah, very, very dry summer. Um, we did have rain uh, a while ago, um, but other than that, it's been really dry. So, um, yeah, hopefully it keeps coming and, it, yeah, we can turn it into a good season. And where are you at with your year. seeding program right now? We've just done a little bit the last couple of weeks, just a few, um, putting some oats. Um, we started on our week now and we will go into our round-the-clock um Full program now, so hopefully we can um, get quite a lot in while it's wet. Farmer and Nungarran Shire President Pippa DeLacy with Emma Field. On the country hour, 15 or quarter past 12, I should say. And farmers in the southwest region really felt the brunt of yesterday's storm. There are reports of fallen trees, uh, damaging fences and also sheds. And we've also heard commercial potato crops on the coast just near Busselton Mile Up Way have been significantly damaged by the heavy winds. As much as 10 to 15% of some crops have been damaged by the storm. And in the north of the state, um, all the weather basically in the south of the state over, overnight, but in the north of the state, it's really the lack of rainfall which is the topic of conversation. The wet season wrapped up last Friday and it was yet another warm season with below average rainfall right across the north of Western Australia. But there is some good news. The Bureau of Meteorology is forecasting a wetter-than-average winter for the Pilbara and Gascoigne. Greg Browning is a tropical climatologist at the Bureau of Meteorology. Yeah, it's actually looking like it could turn around quite significantly. So from you know really dry conditions over the last couple of years, uh, those climate conditions have sort of changed you know 180 degrees basically. So um, there's 
good potential for above average winter rains because we're seeing a lot of warming of the eastern Indian Ocean and that was the thing that was relatively cool last year associated with that Indian Ocean dipole and leading to the, the early dry season or early dry wet season conditions. Uh, but that's totally flipped around. So we're actually seeing some really warm waters off the northwest coast of Australia at the moment. And at this time of the year, often the winds and the, the atmospheric uh, pressure patterns are just right to bring that moisture onshore. So the latest climate outlooks are suggesting a, a, a very good chance of above average rain um, pretty much over all of WA, but yeah, some of those areas, like you said, the Gascoigne, even the Pilbara, they can do really well in these sort of conditions when we have um, those really warm sea surface temperatures off the coast there. You know, I know sometimes in the far north there's winter rain, doesn't necessarily mean big totals, but certainly, as you said, when you go down further south, Gascoigne, Pilbara, you know, and even probably a bit further south, um, there's a good chance of some, some decent rainfall for winter. So hopefully that will go some way towards making up all the, the reduced rainfall during the wet season. I'm sure there'll be some good news for some pastoralists around those um, areas which have been struggling for a few years with dry. That's, that's great news that there's potential for some of that, that winter rain. And I guess in the last few days, anyone in the um, Kimberley and Pilbara has felt a marked shift towards that sort of cooler weather has... That, that sort of happened sort of right on the dot there, May 1st, Craig? It was a pretty good timing, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing how the, the weather patterns just know how to change on 1st of May. But, uh, yeah, we just had, um, you know, often the thing that starts off the dry season is a really strong high-pressure system down in southern Australia, and that brings in the, the dry air, the cooler air, and, uh, yeah, we did have a bit of, bit of a doozy, really, so it was a really good timing. And that's, that's dried out conditions quite nicely. So, yeah, right on, right on cue. Um, 1st of May and the dry season kicks in in all its glory. Greg Browning, he's a tropical climatologist at the Bureau of Meteorology and he was catching up there with Courtney Fowler. 19 past 12. The WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. In just a few moments' time, the Premier Mark McGowan just announcing some uh, changes that the state government is going to roll out COVID-19 testing for FIFO workers who are not displaying symptoms. You'll hear the details of that media conference shortly, just before news headlines at half past 12. And a little later this hour, you'll meet one of the 20 growers, grain growers, who have put their name to a letter being sent out to other growers to say they are supporting the CBH board in its bid to remove Trevor Badger from the CBH board. That's to come between now and the news at one o'clock. First, though, some late changes made to the federal government's job keep program could result in hundreds of farmers becoming eligible for financial assistance. If you're interested, don't waste any time getting onto it because you only have until this Friday to look into it and see if you're eligible. The payment of $1,500 a fortnight per employee is open to any business with a turnover of less than a billion dollars that has lost 30% or more of its revenue. With the details on how you can apply and just see if you're eligible, here's Mike Pritchard. John Gowing is an accountant and farmer in the Upper Hunter, and he fears many farmers will miss out on what could be a significant boost to their cash flow. 
Many farmers believe the drop in turnover has to be associated with COVID-19 and a period from March last year to March this year. But he says that's not the case. What we're finding in the rush towards the 8th of May, which is the cut-off point for registration to receive these benefits from the outset of the program, which is for the month of April, is that there are many businesses uh, with downturns in turnover, not associated with the industries we first think of being cafes, restaurants, who actually do qualify on the criteria which have now been clarified only in the last week. The criteria is not matched to any attribution to turnover reduction arising from coronavirus. It's just a simple downturn in turnover in the corresponding comparative periods, which is simplistically March last year to March this year. However, last week we've had clarification of alternative turnover tests and also scope for forecasting of turnover, which will enable many other businesses who to this point have thought they wouldn't have uh, qualified to fall into the program and be the recipients of support to the level of $1,500 per employee and also uh, for the self-employed or those small business proprietors trading through partnerships, companies and trusts where the principal can be, even though not an employee, can be the recipient of the JobKeeper payment. A number of farmers then would fall into this category. Well, farms are small businesses. If their turnover meet the criteria of turnover reduction, then um, they will qualify for JobKeeper, whether they be a self-employed, sole business proprietor operating a farm, provided they don't have a full-time off-farm employment. If they happen to be a partner in a partnership or a director shell of a company or the beneficiary of trust, they can meet the criteria such that either one partner, one director shell of a company or one adult beneficiary of trust can be the recipient on behalf of that business for the JobKeeper benefit of $1,500 per fortnight. I'm a farmer. I was in drought about two years ago, three years ago. Even last year, in drought, I sold off all the cattle. Got a substantial amount of money. This year, I've got some cattle, kept them, didn't have to buy them. I'm feeding them. I've got no income. Do I qualify? From face it, yes. In those circumstances, um, the farmer would qualify. So that we're finding many of our farming clients uh, have been very slow to react and con- consider themselves not a, not uh, qualifying for this huge bucket of government support. When in reality and on analysis, the circumstances do qualify them because their income has actually gone down simplistically March last year to March this year. Also, particularly for prime producers, for example, the criteria in trying to be fair is excluding, say, extraneous issues like droughts, floods, fires to get a fair level playing field for the comparative purposes. So in the context of drought, the government's given guidance that if the March period of 2019 was heavily drought impacted and doesn't open the door for qualification, that you can go back to the March 2018 year. New South Wales Farmers Vice President and Cowra Farmer Chris Groves is aware of the program and is urging farmers not to self-assess. Go and talk to your accountant or talk to your financial counsellor or whoever looks after that side of your business because self-assessment, you may just rule yourself out when you could be actually eligible for something. And because of what our industry has been through over the last couple of years with drought and not much income anyway, they're allowing the farming community and farm businesses to go back as far as the March quarter of 2018. That's really opening it up for a lot of businesses to be eligible for the assistance to get money to keep their employees in a job, keep the people paid and keep the wheels of agriculture turning.
Chris Groves from the New South Wales Farmers Association speaking to Mike Pritchard. Again, not a lot of time to look into this program. You've got until Friday the 8th of May to sort out whether or not you're eligible. 24 past 12 here on the Country Hour. A couple more texts through just on the weather, the storm that came through, a little bit of damage about, but some rain too, which is really handy. Steve at Wilgoyne, which is sort of four hours northeast of Perth. Bone dry here, lots of wind, says Steve. And at Kangaroo Gully, five kilometres east of Bridgetown, 32 mils and 25 of that between four and five o'clock in the afternoon yesterday, horizontally causing drains to block with leaves and roads to flood. If you've got something to say on the text, 0448 922 News headlines and a look at the weather not too far away. Just before that, though, the Premier Mark McGowan just announcing that the state government is going to roll out COVID-19 testing for FIFO workers who are not displaying symptoms. He addressed the media a short time ago and started by speaking about the results from the most recent National Cabinet meeting. Uh, As you know, the National Cabinet met uh, yesterday morning. Uh, The states and territories continue to work with the Prime Minister and the Commonwealth on plans to alleviate some of the baseline restrictions across Australia. I look forward to the Prime Minister providing a further update on that issue on Friday after the National Cabinet meeting on Friday. Uh, I expect Western Australia will be in a position to release a West Australian roadmap uh, as early as this weekend. I want to again stress that whilst Western Australia has responded very strongly to the COVID-19 threat, uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Any easing of restrictions in WA will only occur based on health advice. Uh, We'll only make changes where it is safe to do so. Uh, This is the way we have approached uh, the pandemic from the very beginning, uh, and it has worked well so far. Uh, I'm pleased to say we had zero new cases of COVID-19 overnight. Uh, That's now seven full days of no cases, which is amazing and incredible and terrific for our state, uh, especially when we hear the news of the case numbers from states like New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, Western Australia is in a very good position. The total number of recoveries is now at 528. That means we have 14 active cases in Western Australia. Uh, Seven people are in hospital, uh, including three in intensive care. Uh, To date, there has been 49,892 COVID-19 tests performed in Western Australia. That's nearly 50,000 tests across our state. Yesterday, we had a 73.5% attendance rate at our public schools. Uh, Ordinarily, the attendance rate is somewhere between 85 and 90%. So 73.5% attendance rate is very high when you consider the circumstances. Uh, That comprises in regional WA 70.5% attendance and in metro WA 74.5% attendance with an average of 73.5% attendance for the entire state. Uh, On Friday we announced our plans uh, to begin testing for COVID-19 in West Australian schools. We launched a nation-leading research program called the DETECT study for students and staff at 80 public schools who are not displaying any symptoms. I'm pleased to announce today that we will roll out the study to test FIFO workers in West Australia's resources sector uh, who are not displaying any symptoms. Clearly, if they are displaying symptoms, people are tested. Resources companies like Chevron, or including Chevron, Woodside, 
Mineral Resources, Rio Tinto and BHP will all participate. Uh, it will be done in conjunction with Curtin University and the Harry Perkins Institute. It's expected that nearly 30,000 tests will be conducted during the life of this project. But testing workers in this way will help provide greater certainty around possible undetected community transmission. As you can see, our resources, our resources sector is going to great lengths to keep its workforce safe and ensure work can continue. Uh, that is absolutely critical to ensuring the West Australian economy can recover from the pandemic. Uh, it once again shows that when we put our minds to it, uh, we can come up with innovative ways to respond to the situation we find ourselves in and create an outcome that will benefit the entire community. Premier Mark McGowan running through the new plan to test asymptomatic FIFO workers for COVID-19 and saying a roadmap for easing restrictions in WA now won't be released on Friday, but he said it could come as early as this weekend. This is The Country Hour, 29 past 12, and Sandra Shaman-Burke here with the news headlines. Thank you, Belle. Good afternoon. The Perth Supreme Court trial of the alleged Claremont serial killer has seen the moment when police confronted the accused man with their DNA evidence. Bradley Robert Edwards, who was arrested in December 2016, was interviewed for several hours. Western Australia has detected no new coronavirus cases for a seventh straight day. There are now 14 active cases in the community, with seven people in hospital. 35,000 households and businesses remain without power after an overnight storm in Perth and WA Southwest. At the peak of the storm last night, 55,000 Western Power customers were affected by outages. And the federal government is seeking advice on whether Commonwealth meat inspectors entered a Victorian abattoir where there's been an outbreak of coronavirus. A cluster of 49 infections has been linked to the outbreak at Cedar Meats in Melbourne. Bell, I'll be back at one o'clock with a full bulletin. Sandra, thank you for the update. Between now and one here on the Country Hour, the results of the Catanning sheep market for you. Also, you'll hear from Andrew Fowler. He is a, well, a big grain grower based uh, just east of Esperance in Condingup. He is one of the people, one of the grain growers who's put his name to a letter that's addressed to growers and just saying to the growers that this group is going to be voting yes to the resolution to remove grower director Trevor Badger from the CBH board. Why he's put his name to that letter, you will find out very shortly. And also you'll meet the man who has restored a gorgeous old windmill. That's to come on the Country Hour between now and the news at one. First, Stephen McInerney is with you to take a look at the weather conditions. Stephen, let's start in the Southwest Land Division. What's happening with that front that's crossing the state? Yeah, good afternoon. I guess that front's starting to weaken. Uh, so, I mean, really the main axis of that front's probably gone offshore. So there's still the deep low pressure system to the south of the state that's uh, slowly moving east. So that's really what's driving the, uh, I suppose, the weather at the moment. Uh, so we're still seeing those uh, strong wind gusts uh, through the southwest. So, I mean, the severe weather warning is still current uh, through that southwestern part. And it's still driving that, that high swirl as well through the southwestern parts of the state. So... That will, I guess, slowly ease as we go during this afternoon and evening uh, and slowly contract towards the south coast. So we are still seeing those showers, uh, the odd thunderstorm really in the southern settled parts. Uh, I guess rainfall so far 
uh, since 9am. Um, we've still had 20 mils, uh, sorry, yeah, 20 mils Garden Island, uh, 15 mils uh, around the Denmark River type of region, 10 mils Albany. So it's still some pretty decent falls still going through there. Uh, it is pushing some, uh, I suppose, lighter rain through the majority of the Southwest Land Division today. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't see too uh, much in the way of uh, heavy rainfall through uh, northeastern parts, uh, so only a couple of mils um, in through those, I suppose, eastern parts of the Great Southern and the uh, Central Wheat Belt. But that rain will sort of continue this afternoon before it does contract towards the uh, south coast, uh, also the, uh, I suppose, the coastal parts of the west coast as well. Uh, but there is another front that comes up uh, later on tomorrow night into Friday morning. So that will bring a little bit more rain activity through the south coast. Um, most of it will be fairly coastal, uh, so around that Albany through the Manjimup region. Uh, and then really once we get towards the weekend, uh, activity will be really confined only really to the south coast and very light at that point in time. So yeah, I guess it's the next 24 to 48 hours of rain uh, that we're going to likely see before conditions really start to ease off. All right, we'll move into northern and eastern parts of the state. What can you see? Well, it's actually quite quiet through there. So there might be a little bit of rain uh, for the Euclid district uh, later on tonight, but really not much in the way is expected uh, from the actual low pressure system because it does look like it sort of slips away uh, before it brings anything too much for the Euclid district. So really we're just going to see um, potentially some showers developing later on Thursday night into Friday morning uh, through southern parts of the goldfields, uh, also the Euclid district, uh, before, as I said, it sort of really does contract towards the south coast. So not much in the way of weather expected uh, through the north and east of the state, but we are expecting some, I suppose, some uh, fresh and gusty easterly winds to, to, do it, to develop through the interior, uh, the Pilbara region, uh, over, the week, no, over the weekend, but certainly over the weekend, uh, and later parts of the weekend as well, where we could see... Uh, again, up to the 20, 25 knots up through those coastal regions. So it will be quite windy up in the north, but uh, yeah, certainly not much in the way of rain expected. Any warnings this afternoon? So yes, as I said, we got that uh, strong or severe weather warning, uh, sorry, for pretty much areas southwest of the line from, say, Lancelin through towards Israelite Bay. Uh, there's also a marine weather warning, so we still got some storm force winds along the south coast, so quite uh, yeah, strong winds expected through there which is also driving that uh, large swell. Also sheep farmers warning as well so for southwestern parts of the state so that's going to continue but generally it looks like it should be easing as we go towards tomorrow morning. Great thank you for that Stephen 25 to 1 here on the Country Hour. This just through from Anna uh, we had 40 millimetres of rain in Young's siding near Albany but unfortunately have lost one cow and two calves from lightning strikes. Thank you for letting us know, Anna. And this from Mick had 47 millimetres overnight, plus another 16 mils since 9 o'clock this morning. Grand total, 63 in our patch in Denmark. With the rest of the figures, here's Richard Hudson. I wonder if it was the same lightning strike got the cow and the two calves. Maybe they were both belonging to the same cow and a bit too close. 
Anyway, uh, nothing at all really in the northern and eastern forecast districts. The most was in the Gascoigne region. Payne's find had two mils and that's it. But in the southwest land division forecast districts, a fair bit to get through. In the central west, it's mostly under 20 mils. Alanooka and Aradale had eight. Badgingarra and Bellandine, six. Binu, nine. Balgarda, 13. Canna East, eight. Chapman Valley, 12. Coolangatta Alert Station, eight. Dudawar, 10. Eniaba, six. Iridu, 10. Arangi Springs, 8. Geraldton Airport, 5. Guthrie West, 6. Durian Bay, Kalbarri, Geraldton Airport, uh, Carrara and Minganu, Norwest. They all had 5 mils. Moaskar and Morawar had 6. Morawa Airport had 7. Mullawar had 5 to 13 mils at a couple of different locations. Nabawar, 11. Nambung Station, 5. Northampton, 8. Perenjury Airport, 14. Sand Springs and Three Springs both had six. Tibradden, seven. Wundi, 13. Yandanooka, seven. And Una had nine. In the lower west, Ankatel, 17. Bickley, 20. Bindoon, 10. Bungandore, 24. Dwelling Up, 37. Garden Island, 100. Chicken, they rounded that one up. Uh, Gidgee up 21. Glen Eagle, 26. Jandakite Airport, 11. Jaredale, 19 to 24 mils at three locations. Julemar Forest had 11, Lake Chittering 9, Lancelin 8, Lancelin East had 8 as well, uh, Millenden 11, Mulyabini and Moondar Brook had 9, Matsolas 34 mils, Muche 8, Mundaring 21, Pierce Raff Base had 9, here in Perth 9, Pinjarra 7 to 15 at a few locations. Uh, Serpentine 18, 2J East 5, Wanneroo 9 to 11, uh, Waruna 14, Werribee 17 and Whiteman Park 9. In the southwest region, there were some higher rainfall totals. We're getting up above 20 in a lot of occasions. Acton Park, 26. Aldervale, 29. Bailing up, 37. Beadle up, 46. Boyan up north, 31. Bridgetown, 33. Brunswick Junction, 16. Bunbury, 25. Bustleton at the airport, 26. Cape Lewin, 23. Cape Naturalist, 20. Capel, 28 to 30 at a few locations. Carlotta, 36. Chapman Hill Road, 26. Collie, 36 to 37. Mills, Kawaram up 38, Dardanup had 27 to 31 mils, Dinan up 25, Donnybrook 24 to 36, Doyle Road 22, Ferguson Valley Alert Station 19, Four Acres 30, Greenbushes 36, Happy Valley Alert Station 26, Harvey 19, Hintybrook 30, Jarrowwood 36, Jindong 32, Carriedale 27, Logebrook 21, Ludlow 25, Manjum up 33 to 43, Margaret River 44, May up south 36, McAlinden 33, Millian up 41, Mount William 22, Mile up 20, Nan up 44, Newbick up 29, Newlands 43, Northcliffe 27 to 32, Pondale Alert Station 28, Pemberton 44, Perryvale Orchard 32, Quinnan up 35, Ravenscliff Alert Station 25, Rosabrook 61, Scott River 31, Shannon 35, Somme Creek 33, Thompsonbrook 34, Tonebridge 32, Vass 24, Vass Highway 17, Walpole Forestry 35, Warner Glen 27, Will Garrup 33, Willie Abrupt 28, Windy Harbour 30, Witchcliffe 9, Wokalup 20, Yanmar 43, Yungarillup had 24. Then in the southern coastal region, 
Albany 41, Albany's Airport 32, Amal up 6, Shane Beach 18, Chillin up 6, Denbarker 17, Denmark 54, that's welcome, Nwangar up GRDC had 8, King River 23, Many Peaks 18, and Many Peaks Deep Herd had 15, Mount Barker 25, Munglan up 5, Narrick up West 18, Ongar up 5, and the GRDC had uh, 1 mil more. Stirling's North 7, Stirling South 16, Tamar 15, Warrajarra 8, Wellstead 7 and Windrush had 14. Then in the central wheat belt, Belka East 10, Ben Cubbins 7, uh, Ben Cubbins Deepert had 14, Bedallin South 8, Bungulla 6, Buntine West the same, Burrican 10, Burracoppin South 21, Cowcowing 6, Gabin 15, Goodlands 5, Kalani 8, Kellerberra North 5, Condit 5 as well, Quarter at the airport, 16. Meriden, 26 to 29 are the official rain gauge figures for a couple of locations there. Mount Hardy, 5. Mount Westdale, 9. Nanginan, 13. Northern, 5. Nungaran, 15. Quadney, 7. Redlands, 8. Training West, 28. Westonia, 5. Wongan Hills, 6. Wongan Hills North, 5. And York had 6 to 7 mils. And then in the Great Southern... Again, some much-needed rain, but not as much. Uh, Badgebup, 5. Boddington North, 26. That was all right. Boscobel, 10. Chaming up, 15. Cherry Tree, 19 over two days. Coondy, 11. Quartering, 18. Cranbrook, 15. Cranham, 19. Culford, 30. All right, make a liar of me, Culford. Darkin, 14. Dumble Young, 5. Franklin, 23 to 32 at a few locations. Highbury East, 10. Holtrock, 14. Hyden, the official figure's only six, so it was very hit and miss because Travis Giblet was saying he got up around 32, wasn't he? Uh, Katanning, 14 to 13 mils at three different locations. Cogent up 16, Cookran 6, Coolan 7, Lake King 19, Maradong 32, Mount Madden 6, Mount Madden East had 12, Narragin 16, at the airport there 18, Newtergate 11, and the research station at Newtergate had 10, Pingley 6, Pingley West 7, Pindley East 5, Poppin Innings 9, Quail up 16, Tamble up 8, Tunney 13, Wagens Airport had 12, Wandering had 20 mils, Wickerpin between 4 and 6 mils, Wilgarra 18, Williams 26 welcome mils, and Williams North had 22. Thanks for that, Richard. 18 to 1. On ABC Radio WA, you're with Belinda Baraschetti for the WA Country Hour. Uh, great to have you along. The details of the Catanning sheep market for you just before the news at 1 o'clock. And a group of 20 grain growers has weighed into the debate over Trevor Badger's future on the CBH board, signing their names to a letter calling on growers to vote him off the board. The CBH group found Trevor Badger materially breached the Director's Code of Behaviour in relation to matters of board confidentiality. And a special general meeting will be held online next Friday the 15th, where growers will have a final chance to submit their vote on the resolution. Now, many of the names on this letter are from the current or former Growers Advisory Council, which helps keep the lines of communication open between the CBH board and growers at a grassroots level. Andrew Fowler manages the cropping side of his family's 30 thousand hectare mixed cropping sheep and cattle business which is east of Esperance at Condingup. Andrew why did you sign your name to this letter? I have a view that CBH is a critical business for our long-term future as, as grain farmers and 
you know, we rely on them to have a really competitive supply chain that's well managed. And, and I think as growers and as shareholders, we want the board to be completely focused on the business and the job at hand and free from that sort of politics on the board and infighting. So, you know, it, it's just to try and get things focused and back on track. I think we need to make a change when you've got this fundamental loss of confidence with all the other directors with one individual. Do you think by getting rid of Trevor Badger, it solves all the problems on the board? Well, I think that the, 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 there's a line in the sand being drawn around a code of conduct of what's expected from a director. And I, I really do believe that when you are a director, you should be and, and you need to be able to articulate your position and have a counter view at the board. But when decisions are made, you have to fall in line and support that decision and support the other directors. We can't tolerate individuals thinking or or, or conducting themselves in a way that their own opinion is of greater weight than that of the whole board. That's not how any board in Australia, any large corporate would function. So the rules of CBH mean that the growers have to be involved in this if the, if, the, if an individual is not going to resign voluntarily, which is different to what ASX listed companies would be. But essentially, this is the situation we're in. And I, and I think having a strong code of behaviour that growers as directors or all directors of the CBH board have to adhere to is a good thing. It's not taking away that voice of, of, of a counter view at board level, but once decisions are made, you have to fall in line and, and there's certain behaviours that are expected and required of all good directors. Even if an individual, a, a grower director, feels he's been dealt an injustice and not only Trevor Badger feeling that way, but a lot of growers also feeling that same way. Yeah, I think this issue, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't really think I want to get too much into the details of this case particularly, but there, this has been going on for a very long time. And I don't, you know, it's probably hard to articulate it. it, it, it it's just a line in the sand. You know, this code of conduct was put into place for all directors over previous instances. Do you feel and, that um, the board has sort of been picking and choosing over the years where it decides to draw that line in the sand? And obviously they're picking this as an occasion to draw that line. I think it's been very difficult in that board environment and it depends sometimes on, you know, there's been factions and stuff like that. It's been political, political, and that you won't find that open political nature on on any of our seriously successful listed companies in Australia. And why should we be any different? CBH is a wonderful company that we own as growers and we should expect the highest level of corporate governance. And, you know, that has not always been there. And, you know, let's move forward from where we are today, make some changes, be clear as growers, as as shareholders and, and in this company that we expect high standards, call out poor behaviour and get rid of it and move forward. And, and with a better model moving forward is, you know, it, it's probably a different debate, but having so many growers as directors and the zones is probably less than ideal given our, you know, reducing number of growers are actually involved in CBH these days. So you'd rather get rid of the zone structure and when there's a position bob up that every grower around the entire grain growing area gets to say and vote who gets that position. 
that would be my preference. But I mean, it's a, it is a different debate. I think we've got to deal with deal with the issues we've got today and get, you know, improve. You know, make a stand when when poor behaviour has been called out. And and I'm not part of the board to know all the details, but what's been presented to me is a clear lack of confidence from all the other growers in one individual. From Look, all the other board members. All the other board members, and 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 I would have expected someone to just resign in that situation. I just it, your your own individual grievances, viewpoints, prosecution of your case is not bigger than the greater good. And and as as a grower from from you know and we're we're about as far from Perth as anyone um, east of Esperance. You know I just don't understand that any individual thinks that they have um, more right than the greater state. A whole lot of us as growers are all expecting the directors to be focused on the job at hand, not each other. Were you uh, lobbied or campaigned by CBH to put your name to this letter? No, but I have been involved in in the GAC. So most of those people on that letter, I... I know from my time being involved in JC, and we've just been getting together, trying to think about how important what 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 this would look like if this vote isn't successful. What that means for the board and what that means for the governance of CBH. You know, I don't normally get involved in this sort of thing, but I in this instance, I think it's important that we make the right decision, give this board the chance to focus on governing CBH well rather than being too interested in each other and, and how, how they may or may not be getting along. Andrew, thank you for being part of the Country Hour today. Appreciate that. Uh, just while you're there, how is the season shaping up as you get stuck into seeding? Yeah, we're about two-thirds of the way through seeding, I suppose. We've, we've, we're well into the wheat now. We've been lucky and had some pretty good rains since late March. You know, we had a um, probably three events over over half an inch. So most of our crop is up and going okay, but today's a shocker. I can't hardly see more than a kilometre out into the paddocks because there's dust blowing everywhere and we haven't had any rain from this strong front system. So that's the typical Esperance response from a strong west coast front, but hopefully there'll be a bit of rain behind it to keep things ticking along. Andrew Fowler, good to have you on the Country Hour. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Andrew Fowler, he's a grain grower from Condingup, just east of Esperance. And some of the other names on this letter asking growers to vote for the resolution to remove Trevor Badger from the CBH board are, well, just a few, Bradley Milstead from Wotharoo, Andrew Todd in Darren, and Romina Nicoletti from Bonnie Rock. Another grower I spoke to this morning who didn't want to be named, said after hearing about this letter to growers, said this is just the foot soldiers or the minions who've been sent out to drum up support for the yes vote and questioned whether CBH actually knows where the votes are at the present because it looks like they do know how the votes are sitting right now and are therefore campaigning hard for a higher yes vote. What do you think? Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. Trevor Badger rejects allegations he breached board confidentiality and will be defending himself against those allegations at the online special general meeting on May fifteenth.
Nine minutes to one. Market's not too far away. First up, though, a 140-year-old American-made wooden windmill has just been restored by an 84-year-old West Australian. The final paintwork has just gone on Australia's only known four-post cross-legged Stover windmill. But as Joe Prendergast reports, its restoration took two years, countless phone calls and some steely determination. It was back in 2018 when retired Dal Wallanew farmer Jim Sawyer received a phone call from a mate in Victoria. He had spotted a windmill in a farm sale in rural Queensland, but it wasn't just any windmill. He had researched it and found out that it was a very rare Stover windmill because the chap selling it had no idea what it was. He only knew it was a windmill. The windmill had been in storage for about 50 years and all that was really left was the head or the engine, which is made out of cast iron. Jim took a punt and purchased it sight unseen. When it arrived at his place, though, Jim realised there was an enormous logistical challenge in front of him. I was a little bit uh, amazed and had no idea because it goes on to a four-legged, cross-legged tower, how it could function or the tower be put together. I eventually tried with just small pieces of timber and managed to work out how it would be and then I built the tower with the legs that are on it today. They fit there very nicely, but this method allows the wheel to be enclosed to the tower and still miss the legs. Jim Sawyer says he could find just two other cross-legged Stover windmills in the world. Both were in America, and he really didn't have much luck getting information from America to help him with his restoration. But he persisted. He built a small-scale model out of wood and using photographs, he adjusted the model until he was happy with it. It took two years to restore the mill, painstakingly cutting each piece of wood by hand, shaping it and painting it. The restored Stover windmill will now take pride of place in Jim's windmill shed, a museum he has set up in Dalwallanew, which is now home to 90-odd windmills. But how did a 140-year-old American windmill come to be in Australia? Well, for Jim, this will remain a mystery. I have no idea how this particular one come to be in Australia. And it looks like a one-off in Australia. I guess they were used all over America because Stover and Samson were the same company. They made a lot of windmills, so for some reason there's very few of them turned up. Now, when I spoke to the person selling it, he was selling it for his father, who was in an old aged home, and um, he had the phone number of the chap that he bought it from. That chap was still alive and he was also in an old age pension home. I was able to contact him and he could remember the mill because it belonged to his father. And he could tell me roughly what the colors were and um, a little bit about it. And he was in his nineties. I thought that was pretty good. 
Jim Sawyer has spent the past decade restoring windmills. He's passionate about preserving their history and their role in developing Australian agriculture. It was the windmill was responsible for Outback Australia, the development for sheep stations and cattle stations. I thought I'd only just work on a, a few, but it gradually grew and grew until I decided the best way was to put them in a shed so they wouldn't deteriorate and have them on short tower where people could study the workings of them. And in two months last year, the windmill shed at Dalwallanew in WA's Wheatbelt had 450 visitors. Joe Prendergast with that report. And you can see that amazing restoration job online. There's a link on the ABC Rural Facebook page. Brian in Caboolture in Queensland says, Great job, Jim. I've been working on windmills over 50 years. The tower would have been challenging and you only had photos to go by. And Julie doesn't say where she is but says, Lovely windmill and I wish I could contact someone or a group to restore an old cart. This is the Country Hour and it's four minutes to one. In these trying times with what the world is facing there are rural leaders out there working hard to provide the essentials we all need. This year more than ever let's extend a virtual pat on the back at a distance and celebrate as we search for this year's Farmer of the Year those farmers that go above and beyond or those that just do it You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au. Supported by ABC Rural and Kandinan Group. Numbers were down about 2,000 on last week at the sheep sale at Katanning this morning. The total yarding was just under 17,900. Tracy Kilner, it sounds like you haven't got the figures from one or two companies yet, but so far, what's the quality been like? A fair quality yarding offer dominated by mutton and store lambs. The ewe mutton prices eased with the eastern states processor buyer not operating due to a coronavirus issue. Top price for mutton reached $182 with most lines selling around the $130 to $145 ahead. A pen of heavyweight lambs topped at $172 and a pen of merino lambs topped at $162 ahead. Light trade weight lambs sold for 95 to 125, heavier tradies made from 125 to 150 and the heavyweight lambs returned 155 to $172 a head. The lightweight lambs made from 30 to $95, merino weather lambs sold from 70 to 120 and new lambs made from 30 to $90 a head. Heavy mutton prices eased selling for 170 to to $182 a head, medium weight ewes made from $135 to $155 and lightweight and store ewes sold for $30 to $130 depending on qualities. Heavy weathers were firm selling from $160 to $182 while medium weight sold for $130 to $150 a head. The lightweight weathers and stores were firm selling for $30 to $125. Rams remained equal selling from $30 to $90 to processors and up to $151 for the younger Merino rams. Rams to live export made from $50 to $151. Ram lambs sold from $50 to $162 a head depending on weight and quality and from $90 to $120 for live export. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you, Tracy. A few of you are keen to have your say on the letter that 20 grain growers have put their name to, addressed to growers around the state, just saying that you should vote 
and get rid of Trevor Badger from the CBH board. Callum in Katanning says, what makes Andrew Fowler think his opinion is more important than anyone else? I feel this vote is as much about the process that has been taken to remove Trevor Badger as it is very much less than professional. And this from Lindsay, I question how this whole debacle came about. On the word of an unnamed grower, Trevor was subjected to scrutiny by fellow directors. Good to talk to you today. Time now for ABC News. It's one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.